Game 25, episode 25. This is uh, Craggy Island Rugby. And to start with, if you are one of those people who believe that incidents off the pitch are not sport and we shouldn't be talking about anything other than what's on the pitch and what happened on Friday night and came onto Sky Sports cameras as Mills Molina was arrested at King's Home, shouldn't be discussed in the podcast, I really recommend that you just give this one a skip because we completely disagree with it. We're going to deal with that in part one and we're going to deal with it in as structured a way as possible and I think I'm going to lose the chair for a little while while we deal with it so Alan's going to take over then part two is our discussion on some of the reaction to it and one article in particular uh, in the Sunday Independent this afternoon as we broadcast more details on that and on but that's part two and the last part of the podcast is a detailed review of the Gloucester game looking at the first half so bad first second half so good and in the context of looking ahead to Ulster at the weekend what a huge game that is lots to get through you might have noticed a slightly longer podcast than usual enjoy Dave Finn you're very welcome along Baby Rob, a nice uh, European weekend, and I uh, look forward to Nigel Ray looking at how to cut top 14 qualification next season. <laughs> good start. Alan Deegan, I have this sense that you're going to have a really good finish to this podcast. Let's see how well you start. Hi, Rob. Okay, he needs to improve. Uh, William. Good evening. The voice of William Davies. Let's get this started. You may hear little clips during the podcast where we've stopped and edited stuff in. Be be aware that Murphy, Gunn and Newland solicitors department here are keeping an eye on everything we do. We have a studio audience as well, or I don't, not really, really, just a loud group of people in the corner. Lads, wow, what, who'd start with? Alan, we'll start with you. Wow, wow. Indeed. And I'll just take over the mic now because really we should be interviewing you because you were actually there while it happened. So give us a little rundown on what actually happened. So on Friday after the game, we go to the press conference in Gloucester. The long story short is we were standing watching Sky Sports where they were interviewing Pat Lamb, having interviewed a few Gloucester players. I looked away right at the end of the interview and started talking to uh, Rory uh, from the Irish Independent and look back because I heard them talking about the fact that Mills Mullane has been arrested and then I got a text within seconds from William here on my left Mills has just been shown led away on camera into a police car so at this point we are in shock and we were so so what what cameras how how, how come Sky were there with cameras yeah, so maybe maybe some of the subsequent events will explain that. So we 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 tried to find out what had happened, but all we had was what was said. We really knew very little else. Uh, another journalist came up, another Irish-based journalist, and spoke to us and said that after walking past the Connick dressing room, she had heard that the, that the situation seemed to be more than what we had initially thought, and what Sky had initially thought, that it was something incident in, at the ground. And we inferred that in fairness, because Sky didn't say it was an incident at the ground. They said he's been led away after a complaint was made by the member of the public, and we inferred the rest. So she had said that it had been mentioned to her that it was a previous incident. So at that point, we started totally scrambling then. We were like, we need to find out what the heck is going on. A local journalist rang the Gloucestershire Police Desk, which was brilliant, because we wouldn't have thought of that we would have just stayed looking at Twitter for another four hours but uh, like most modern journalists and uh, he got a statement and the statement said that a man in his 30s had been arrested on a suspicion of a sexual assault in Cardiff and that absolutely just left us all gobsmacked beyond that we didn't get much else but in 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 regards to the camera and how the camera ended up there it looks like just looking at some of the subsequent articles that we read Michael Corkin of RT was downstairs in the uh, mix zone that would be there for official broadcasters and he was interviewing again ready to do an interview and he saw him being led away so I'm presuming if it happened at that exact time the cameras would have been there for the post-match interviews as well and if the cameraman is standing there like any good professional cameraman he's going to go well something's happening here so he just stood outside so 
don't think it's a case that they were tipped off in any way, if that's okay. the impression. So, uh, from that point, about you know, 10 minutes later, the Gloucester media officer came up to us and told us that there would be no post-game press conference uh, from Connacht. Uh, so, we weren't surprised by that at all, having seen what we had seen. A couple of minutes later, however, maybe about 15 minutes later, uh, Pat Lamb did come up to speak. Uh, a spokesperson for Connacht initially came in to tell us that there would be he would be taking no question whatsoever on what the pictures had shown and Mills Molina um, also adding that they had no information whatsoever to add to the situation and no one from Connacht had any information on that so from that point of view it's quite an unusual situation to be in a in a press conference where you're asked not to ask a question or at least there's an inference that you shouldn't ask a question and you know at times you may want to challenge something like that because you may feel like well you know it's our right to ask and it's someone's else's right not to answer but I conducted the interview because most of the other journalists were too busy typing reports and articles because this Gloucestershire police statement had come true and if you listen to the interview and you will hear the interview on this podcast it's quite a strange interview because there's such a there's such a huge cloud over the whole thing and you can hear it in both our voices if you listen to me and Pat Lamb talk normally it was quite different but I took the decision at that point not to challenge the idea of asking the question everything had been explained to us William yeah I think the police have definitely confirmed because they were asked by New Zealand media why they did this operation in exactly this way and they simply said that they f- that was for operational reasons. I think they were being asked why they did it at the ground and they said they had their reasons and they were making no further comment on that. Yeah, because New Zealand media really have jump up and down. Yeah. They, they, they've gone into this in a big, big way, haven't they, Rob? Well, and I think that's because, simply as this, you said it today, you were listening to what the paper said on News Talk, and it yeah. wasn't for legal reasons they didn't mention this. They didn't mention any of the articles on this, because it isn't as big a story over here. It's as simple as that. And I know we probably have a lot of New Zealand listeners all of a sudden, because there's such a huge story over there. But I guess you have to understand that, you know, while Mills Molina coming to Connacht was a big deal, and while he certainly is well-recognised as a star, within the Irish sporting media, something like this is an interesting story and it did make the news rounds it was on news radio and, and news, uh, newspapers through the weekend it's not the kind of recurring cycle media and also I just think we've seen how the New Zealand media operates in a different way than the Irish media and it's fairly intense but I think it's, while they go into great detail on some of their articles like the New Zealand Herald article that I tweeted out yeah. yesterday they, it, it's very balanced as well even the quotes have some sort of balance you know the lads acted in you know the lads or the, the players were nothing but a delight to work with was an example in in the mix of an article that had some things that I'm quite sure any rugby team on the planet would prefer would stay in-house. So yeah. that's just an example. Uh, I think it's the biggest story in New Zealand. It's as simple as that. And it's also interesting, as I noticed, that the pictures that we see in the papers of Mills, he's either wearing a Connacht jersey or a Barbarians jersey. There isn't any of them with wearing an All Blacks jersey. <laughs> that's a really good point in the, in the New Zealand websites. Yeah. yeah, that's a really, really good point. I, just want to, I, I think we need to visit is that the biggest issue seems to be at the moment is we, 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 don't, we can't speculate about anything beyond this. It's now a legal matter, so it's all yeah. subject to say. We've already stopped this podcast once because yeah. we realised yeah. <laughs> the lawyers just went, wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> but the interesting thing is that the next Congress press conference is on Tuesday. And I can imagine it's going to be exactly. It's going to be no. I won't be there for the work. It's, it's, it's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be exactly as strange because it is the one thing we can't. Because legally, and it's a, it's a perfectly legitimate reason. Legally, you can't speak in this case because it is subjudicate. It's subjudicate in another jurisdiction, which does change the rules. Which is why the New Zealanders are being a lot more 
open about the specifics of what happened. We're not in that position. We should never, never be in that position. You know, they still don't go around the actual no. allegations. No, no, no. no yeah, they're talking about, they're talking they, about, they build the context yeah. of it. Exactly. They give a context of what happened. I think from our perspective, is that you're going to have a press conference where everybody wants to talk about the one thing that that they won't be allowed to talk about, and the one thing they should be talking about, which is a pretty major game against Ulster, is an afterthought this week for everybody outside Connacht and Ulster, and that it's going to be truly surreal this week from a, from a from a journalistic point of view, from a Connacht supporting point of view, and also to a certain degree from an Ulster point of view, because to a lot of degree. If people are going to be talking about the build-up in the game, it'll be the Ulster boys trying to talk about the build-up in the game because they have nothing to say on this issue. Just to add to that, like I don't have any interest in asking Pat Lamb his opinion on this situation. I don't want to know. I actually don't want to know because I understand the simple logics of he can't answer that. So I don't want to ask that question. I don't want to be necessarily in a situation where I'm not allowed to ask that question because then you just feel like, well, do I have a duty to ask it then? But I certainly don't want to. But I want to be able to talk about the cloud over the team because if we don't talk about the cloud over the team... No one's saying talk about things, but can we acknowledge that there is or isn't a cloud over the team? And I think anyone who's saying there isn't, ah, oh, come on. Like, do you agree, Dave? Like, I, mean, I, totally, I totally agree. Yeah, I don't, and, and the other sort of little weird thing about it all is that he doesn't have to go back. He's allowed back to Ireland today, and he doesn't have to go back to England or Wales until July, at which point he's not a Connacht player. His contract will have finished. Yeah. So it's a really strange scenario. But I think we've talked enough about this. Yeah, I, I think would. Well, I think I should be presenting the podcast, really. I think we'll hand it back to Rob and we'll go into the rugby side of it. But, but, but you know what you should do? You need to link to my interview with Pat Lamb now. And we'll go to Pat Lamb and hear what his thoughts on the match were, with no comment about what happened with Mills afterwards. Very good. That sounds really condescending. Let's leave that out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we'll leave it in it. now and acknowledge how condescending it sounds. Pat, you're going to, first of all, take the positives from the way Connacht finished. And I guess we'll start on a positive. A positive. That was a very strong second half performance. Yeah, it was. I mean, um, yeah, it's one thing. I, I never dealt with these guys. They never give up. They keep going hard. Um, you know, we know we, we probably uh, um, we let in a couple of their first half. We didn't exit well. We let in a couple of soft tries. A uh, bit of a bounce of ball on one of them. But, um, you yeah, know, we came at half time and we just talked about, you know, raising intensity and and, um, and trying to be more ruthless with um, with our execution. And, you know, again, we just missed some chances. But to be still going right to the end to try and, you know, get us get into extra time uh, is a credit to the guys. You know, there's a young group of guys that are looking forward to taking forward and this sort of game's going to hold them in good stead, you know, knockout rugby. Um, it's not an easy place to come to, as we, we said before the game, And uh, but the atmosphere and, um, and playing knockout rugby Rugby hold them in good seat. Pat, the starts, they seem to still be costing Connacht. I mean, if Connacht start that slowly against Ulster, who are going to be obviously coming hell for leather for you next weekend, it's, it's almost going to be unwinnable, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that, that, that one, but we've had some good starts in some games and, and we haven't finished. So, you know, that, that, it's. it's it's, it's you know one of those things if we don't execute well it puts pressure and um, and then we spend a lot of time we spent, we had to spend a lot of time on defence because our exits weren't good and um, and you know credit to the boys there's a lot of good D but it was just too much of it and um, so we, we spoke about half time just being more uh, accurate on what we do and then give us a better chance of uh, playing some rugby Why did we see Ali Muldowney on the ball more and Quinn Roo on the ball more and getting more front football in the second half what changed to allow that to happen? Oh, I think the um, you know we that's what we spoke about that's what we should have done. We went, you know, we spent too much time on D, but that was part of the plan getting more carries and, um, and being more accurate on our carries, and uh, it was certainly better than that. 
just looking at where Connacht are right now you can't help wonder and I know you won't feel this way but you know in some ways not being in the semi-final of the competition possibly will still fo- help to focus on the Pro 12 you want to be there but yeah I mean you know we, we, we gave it all for this one and we we, you know, we came up short but now we um, you know we, we, we parked this do our review go through the same process and get ready for Ulster um, you know it's sports ground it's a, it's an exciting game when you consider we need the win um, you know we've beaten Leinster and Munster at the sports ground. If we can do that, it'll still be, uh, be a great achievement for the boys. OK, prepare yourselves. This is about to get very, very heated. Certainly from the pre-podcast chat, it was getting really heated. The lawyers thought they might have a whole other situation to deal with. Uh, but it, if you want to know what we're talking about and what sparked this conversation, Brenda Fanning wrote an article on Sunday. In, the 5th of April. Uh, the 5th of April, as uh, Alan points out, in the, in Irish, the Irish Independent. And uh, it's on the website. I seek it out. It's about uh, Mills Mullainia's uh, contract ending. And uh, obviously a little reference to what happens on Friday as well and it's causing a little bit of a debate so if you have read it and if you're not driving or something and you have time to do it press pause and read it who wants to go first on this? Dave can you summarise it a little bit? It's basically it's a, it's a, it's a short piece it, it seems to have been an article that was written in two parts it was a part written before the Gloucester game it was a part written after the Gloucester game and the part written after the Gloucester game really does annoy me the part written about before the Gloucester game I think there is a legitimate point to it which is that Brendan Fanning has said that Mills Molina didn't justify the price that was paid for him in his performances on the pitch. And I think we would I would I would say Yes, I think that's a very legitimate point to raise. He then went on to say that he believed that there were a number that happened a number of times with Connacht that they and that the flops that we had paid over the top odds for players who who, um, who hadn't performed. Now his big I have two big issues with it. One is well I have one big issue with it and one slightly small issue, which is that the smaller issue is that he mentioned Bundy and Tom as for this season being flop, uh, being part of that uh, mentioning him in the same in the same sense as Mills. Now it's clear that Bundy and Tom have not been flops. He is right about he is right about James Soyalo, who but I would argue isn't a flop because you have to be on the pitch to flop. And secondly and and also he mentions Craig Clark as being a flop. But I think there were bigger issues regarding Craig Clark and I don't think Craig Clark when he was on the pitch was a flop. Um the second part of the article, which is to do with what happened afterwards, I think makes a cheap shot at people behind the scenes at Connacht, who we've already said were caught on the hop on Friday. And that's what really annoyed me about the article. All right, brilliant summation. Thank you, because we could get bogged down. There's probably a lot of, You have a lot of opinions, I know, on, uh, in more detail, so we'll get into it. Uh, William, your first reaction on that article? I think most of it was absolutely spot on. Oh, it's on! Um... I'll put it into context. Connacht, in my opinion, I'm a Connacht fan. been a Connacht fan for 40 years. I'm a season ticket holder for as long as they've been available. I go up there to support Connacht. If you look at the analysis of Connacht in the national media, it is so soft at times. If we play really badly, we're plucky. If we play brilliantly we're outstanding. There's never anybody really prepared to say Connacht had a shocker today. It's almost like shooting Bambi. And a couple of um, podcasts ago, I said, at some stage, the results are going to start mattering and the spotlight is going to come on. And I think what Brendan Fanning is pointing out in this article is that the two biggest signings we've made recently 
in Craig Clark and Mills Marina have not worked on the pitch. They were two risky signings. Molina was 34 years of age and came with an injury. Clark, it would appear, had a history of concussion injuries that was staggering and frankly frightening. And he's just saying that if you're spending the sort of money that was spent, you've got to be a bit sharper on what you do. Soliano was a disastrous soap opera. I think Tom McCartney, he actually praises quite strongly in the article. The point he makes about Bundy is harsh, maybe, because he has been injured. But then he came here after playing a full season in New Zealand. What do we expect? The guy is eventually going to run out of gas. Unfortunately, he's only played eight games, and it's now the back end of the season when we really need him. Yeah, a couple of things. There is one person who always slags off connect. <laughs> Frano. Every yeah, time. He's ridiculous. He's but, a clown. Yeah, he is ridiculous and a clown. I'm, I'm just, calling just, just Nick Neal calling him a clown. Yeah, but he does it in the same forum as Fanning does. I think there's. I think fans may be rightly or wrongly will start to believe that this particular newspaper has an issue with Connacht. Now that may not be the case, and we've met other journalists, rugby journalists from who really don't have a problem. With yeah, that. Rory's doing great work. But if it's purely a case of pure cold analysis of what's happened, I think William raises fair points. But we have to take into account not only the, we have to take into account the messenger and the media, not just the message. Yeah, but they're also the paper that produces a Connacht supplement every Friday. I can't wait for this week's Connacht supplement. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be the funniest supplement in the history of supplement. Which is a PR sop and a bit of a spin. The only only promise they don't do that for is Ulster. That is my issue. They they, they do it for Leinster. I'm sure the Leinster fans want to be going the independent. But that that wouldn't even be... They couldn't possibly do it for Ulster, you know, legitimately, obviously, because there isn't a market there. But They call themselves a Republican paper. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the, the other reason, the other reason we don't get hammered and it's the reason why we started this podcast is that nobody outside of Connacht knows the players nobody knows what the situation is nobody they just said oh yeah Connacht they're just there in, in the background so they, there is no you know there's no depth of knowledge of Connacht absolutely but then you can't complain when they do turn the spotlight and admittedly today he's picked he's picked easy targets he's talked about the fact that we lost our CEO um, 18 months ago the problem is when that happens, Connacht kind of go into a tortoise mode. They pull their head in and nobody wants to talk about it. And it's all kind of, that didn't really happen. We've listened for the last few weeks to Johnny Sexton's head injury issues, George North's head injury issues. And I'm shouting at the TV, look, there was a guy that played for Connacht who had to retire through head injuries. And nobody seems to have even noticed this because... When it happened, we sort of, and by we I mean Connacht, we sort of said, oh, well, very unfortunate, and that was the end of it. It just no. disappeared. No. Yeah, but no. the, the, the whole head thing, the whole head, you know, the concussion thing has only really come to light in the last year or two. The, the reason I think we, we took a gamble on Clark, and we had to take a gamble on Clark, we needed leadership. We needed somebody who'd won stuff. This guy had won two Super 15 championships. We hadn't had anyone. We'd had loads, like, you had Gav, you had Mull, uh, and, and uh, Johnny. You know, we had all these guys with experience. Experience, but not experience of winning, playing with us and winning and winning stuff, you know, whilst they were still in their prime. You know, this guy came, so we took a chance on him. And okay, he had these injuries, but I thought he was a success because he did change the attitude within the province. He did change the attitude of a lot of younger guys about what's possible. And he also helped 
I still believe he helped with the signing of the likes of Mills and Bundy because there was a guy who, who you know, um, yeah, yeah, had played with them and showed that yes, Connacht are a viable entity to come and play rugby with. Two things. First of all, we're just going on the pitch. I mean, if you're going on the pitch, then yeah. But what about off the pitch? We yeah. every, and I'm back to something that has been said throughout the season is the importance of Mills to the players to the players and to young players coming through. Craig Clark to the players last year coming through. Dan Parks when he was here. And if strangely enough, you would have to consider if you're gonna say flops on the pitch, you'd have to include Dan Parks. Yeah. And Dan was a huge influence to the young players coming through here. Also, I'd like to see Fanning go on and talk about the flops of Munster. Munster have been notorious for making terrible decisions when it comes to overseas players. Leinster have made bad decisions when it comes to overseas players. Just want to see it. It just happened to be that the two things, a, a bad collision of events came together last weekend. And the first one was Mills is going to Zebra. Now, as far as we've all said this, as far as I'm concerned, that is good business for everybody. I think it's good for Mills. I think it's fantastic for Zebra. But to be honest with you, in terms of on the pitch, I think it's good for us because it frees up some cash. And also, we are now returning back from injury and Dara getting back in the one. We're now covered at fullback. Well, I would like Fanning and I would like the Irish Independent to do a breakdown of the flops at other clubs and the flops this season at other clubs. Because Ben Teo, a big, a big, big, big signing from Rugby League at Leinster. Okay, he got an unlucky injury, but I don't see him being referred to as a flop, even though the guy had never played rugby before this season. That's an even bigger risk than Lancer Duck, and I don't think it's come off, and I think when they're at full strength, he'll be out of the team. That's a flop. Why isn't he mentioning that? Because Leinster are in the semi-final of the European Champions Cup, and they've won European competitions, and so have Munster. We're not at that level. Yeah. And, we, and, and, to, and to get to that level, maybe we need to do take risks. But when they haven't worked out, there needs to be a bit more honesty and say... It's obvious Mills Molina hasn't worked out because he's going to Zebre, who are the bottom club in the league. And he's only played 10, 10 and a half games. He hasn't scored a point. Just to go back on that one, the difference in our backline play at the start of the season compared to the end of last season with this same backline was phenomenal. Yeah, he's not hired as a coach. He was hired as a, as a coach mentor. He, his... He's coming in and telling these young fellas that he, these guys are as good as anything he's seen in New Zealand. They're not hearing that from. They're hearing that from a hundred cap all black. But that can work, work against you. That worse, yeah. Well, can. that can work against you when he plays so poorly. So he played so poorly, and I, I, I honestly noticed it on the pitch in Cardiff. The, one of the big reasons why we lost the game, Cardiff, because we butchered a few chances in the twenty-two. But another big reason was Mills' unbelievable uh, poor, poor knock-ons and that pass to Tiernan O'Halloran over his head crushed our confidence for fifteen minutes. So it can go the other way when a man has such stature, and then it doesn't work. But can I just say something here, Dave, as well? Just I totally like not totally discredit. I just want to highlight something, Alan, that, that I think your point you're missing. Yes, we're entitled to make the gambles. And and yes, you're entitled to kind of assess the gamble that it was a good gamble, even if it didn't work. But what I'm saying is, and what William, I think, is saying is, do we need some critical assessment of this from an outside from outside as well? We need a critical assessment of gambles. If you're going to make gambles, the chances of you being criticised more raise because you're taking a risk. And when you have multiple, uh, like the Soyalo one, I, I actually agree. Bringing up Soyalo, Dave said it, that's rubbish because we didn't have to pay him after that. Yeah, it was a bit of a joke, but it didn't cost us that much money. Let's get over that. But Molina hasn't worked out the way we wanted to and Craig Clark didn't work out the way we wanted to and they are big signings. Yeah, they were huge signings. And look, a player, you can sign a player and he can go out on the first day of training and do a cruise ship and he's gone for the season. And that's bloody awful luck. But when you select players at high wage levels who come with injury issues, it's almost inevitable that it's going to fail or flop. And I'm, I just want them 
to, to maybe go a different route on this. And if they have, to, if the necessity is to find other players, younger players, but those two guys were at the end of their careers. And I, as a fan, I just see them as a flop, and I'm not really interested in the mentoring thing. That's my opinion on that. I understand that I, I, if this was coming from Connor fans, and if it was just us, I think I'd be a lot more sympathetic to the viewpoint. My viewpoint is that it came from Brendan Fanning, and it came in the Irish Independent, and I didn't see a piece written by Brendan Fanning or the Irish Independent when Christian Cullen flopped who was a no- huge high profile all black with a history of injury problems who didn't come off in Munster I didn't see that a single article written about I'm sure, and I'm sure there probably was but I didn't see it and I certainly think it's the first article that he has written on Connacht it's one of the first articles he's written on Connacht in the Irish Independent and it's basically a dig and I think the second half of the article which is to do with the aftermath of last Friday is shitty and uh, the, the headline Beep. the headline is the biggest problem big name flops costing Connacht more than cash you know that's 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 not true. Like you know, you talk about you, you William, you were saying that you know they're they're flops because they you know you're not interested in what they do off the field. It's what it's on the field. But off the field is changing an attitude, changing a, a you know. I, I guarantee. Is that not Pat Lamb's job? But, yeah, I know it is, but he also needs help. He can't do it all himself. And I think if you have guys come in like that, I don't think Cooney would have stayed. I don't think Quinn Rue would have come back and stayed without the change in attitude towards Connacht in the last two years. Two years ago, nobody would come anywhere near it. Paddy Wallace was on against the head a couple of, a couple of weeks back, talking about the fact they wanted him to go to Connacht, and he wouldn't come. He wouldn't come to Connacht. And there was other players who wouldn't come. Neil Nagel was supposed to come to Connacht, and he wouldn't come to Connacht. And he's probably still, that, yeah. that, that's changed. That attitude has changed, and it's changed because of the likes of having Clark and Mullaine have been brought in and showing that it is possible to have a rugby club in this part of the, the, the country. I, I, that's successful. I'd argue it's changed because we got into the Heineken Cup. But we finished, hold on, with the three season we're in the Heineken Cup, we finished ninth, ninth, and tenth. No, but I think well, the fact I'm, that we no, were there. Sorry, I think the biggest gamble, and the biggest thing that could, the biggest gamble, the biggest amount of money that has been paid, has been for Pat Lamb. That is where the money, that's the big money. And I think Fanning is, I, I'm sorry, I find it's a really poorly timed. If this happened at the end of the season, and we had dropped out, we. We were out. We didn't get to the final of yeah. Europe, and we're not, we don't finish seventh. That's the yeah. time. That's the time when you produce that article. And I go, do you know, I'd have loved. But we're still in sixth place, and we still it's still in our own hands. And I just think it's a nasty, it's a nastily timed article. We have to go to William on that because that is probably the best point that's been made from that side of the table, which is like Connacht are sixth in the table. Connacht have never won more games than they lost in a season. This is a phenomenal transformation. And Brendan Fanning is talking about flops and costing Connacht and. You know, and I think as well as that, and I think the reason why why Dave is so annoyed about this article, making inferences about stuff that has no facts around it yet, and we've talked about it for eight minutes, and we still aren't making any inferences about what happened at the weekend. Well, I'm assuming he must have cleared that with somebody. And yeah, I, well, no, he hasn't done anything wrong in that, no. but it's an unfair dig at this stage when we are sixth in the table. And I, I want more critical analysis, and I disagree with some of the aspects of the lads that are annoyed about in the article. But at the same time, you know, Brendan, come on. <laughs> like, we're sixth in the table. It would be an unbelievable achievement. Pat Lamb should get coach of the season if he gets Connacht into the top six. Well, if we hadn't screwed up the two games against Cardiff, we would probably, we would probably be safe. <laughs> Mr. Negative. Look, yeah, okay. Look, I'm a glass, glass half-empty person, and that's, that's the way I am, and I'm not going to change. But I still feel it was somebody in the national media needed to say it. It might have been a bit of a blunt instrument. It might bang a few heads together and just say, okay. It, it also suggests to me that they're under... The sp- they're under the spotlight and they've got to know how to react to that they're under the spotlight at the moment in Connacht because of the, the incident on Friday evening yes. and that's how they handle that is a separate issue but now 
they're down to four games and I accept yes they are sixth and it's still in our hands but I still feel it was a timely piece alright brilliant love that excellent well done everyone I think everyone got their say um Tremendous result in Gloucester, a 14-7 defeat uh, that, well, not everyone will think is tremendous, but it had all the hallmarks of what we wanted. And I think in the uh, seconds before we uh, watched uh, Sky Sports Pictures, we were feeling really positive about how things were, because here was a disastrous situation. Maybe I'll start with Alan. Disastrous situation at halftime. Another awful performance. Lots of errors. 73% territory, 63% possession. All Gloucester. The only thing they weren't doing was, uh, you know, turning it into scores. And we knew they were coming in the second half. It was bad bad news. And then, what a second half performance. And importantly, we didn't muck things up by putting the semi-final in there that we just really don't need with small squad yeah we certainly we certainly switched on the pack certainly switched on um, a couple of substitutions were made that seemed to change everything I think putting putting our best player in the 13 jersey had a massively positive influence on the rest of the back line um, which gave us a bit of go forward and, and frightened, the, frightened the opposition and gave us a real chance to get going and hopefully we've learned a lesson so that when we take on Ulster this weekend we have the right players in the right positions um, we'll have a chance interesting I'm going to ask will me make sure I ask Alan what the right players in the right positions are because I want your opinion on that but uh, William I'm obviously being facetious by saying you know we didn't muck things up by getting through in the midst of the commentary and when you're watching and any Connick fan you want the team to win I wanted them to get the extra time I wanted them to win but the silver lining was at least we come away with a positive and you know, in a bigger picture world, it's not the end of the world that we're out of it. That's the actual, you know, correct way of looking at this. Well, that's my view. Yeah. I mean, I can accept that the team mightn't see it that way. A lot of supporters mightn't see it that way. But it's a competition that has a lot of issues. And we did not need another game with the squad size and the injuries that we have. That being said... You would have taken it if they had come from behind to win in Gloucester because it would have been such a sweet moment. Absolutely. Um, but it doesn't cover up the fact that the first half was a shambles and it's okay this thing about well we're a second half team and we do better that really only flies when you win when you don't win it still looks like a very strange I I can't understand it they've done all their analysis they've done all their warm ups they've done their on pitch warm ups They're, they're ready to go and for the first 30 minutes we were playing as if we were still on the bus going to the ground it got a little bit better at the end of the first half and then once we eased our way into the game they showed Gloucester are a pretty poor side and where they are now is quite interesting because they're up for sale as of today for £25 million sterling Gloucester rugby were you on eBay or where were you? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was considering actually saying, could we could we get a consortium here? But that was for after because the Because I, I have a Christmas voucher if it's on Amazon. It's 50 euro. Who's using it with me here? Anyone? <laughs> well, that, well that, that's a start. Um, well, you've kind of, I've kind of lost my own Sorry, I beg your pardon. How about I jump in here for a second and just say, you know, you, you said Gloucester were, were, were poor, uh, shown up for being poor. There was a feeling, and I'll maybe bring you in on this, Dave, as well, and we'll go back to William on it. There was a feeling among the, in the commentary box early in the second half, our first half, when they had one try on the board. But Billy Twelvetrees made the fourth wrong decision he had made in the game, and he's the captain. And the roars of disapproval from the home support said to me that this is a bigger issue than just tonight. And you just thought, now, take advantage of that, lads. And it took us too long to take advantage of it. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with the two lads. I think the team that finished the game is, should start next week, apart from 
no offense to James Connolly, he's a young lad, I wouldn't have James Connolly on, but I think the team that finished was stronger. I think we took, I would go, I think we took 35, 40 minutes to cop on that these guys weren't any good. Well, the first try is shockingly bad to give away. The second try. Loose kick, missed tackled by the guy who kicked it. The second try is one of those tries. It is in terms of once the kick goes in, that bounce can happen. But there's no covering fullback because at that point, Mills, I think, was injured and was out of the game. Um, and then the bounce can go in the way. But we made. I was. I mean, I've seen Gloucester a lot over the last five years. Uh, one of the teams I've seen a lot of in England, and I was going. Their pack, amazing. They had some. They had some really great grafters, unsung heroes like Alex Brown, um, Inkera. Those guys were strong. There was nobody there that night on on Friday. You're thinking they they scare me. And I think you look at the back and you're thinking, well, twelve trees a day. You think it should. It was likely to go to the World Cup as a backup to someone. Hook, who a lot of Welsh guys think should be back up to Breesland. And I'm there thinking, Hook put two kicks in and 12 trees knocked down four times. And it took us 40 minutes to work out to overcome the fact that it's Gloucester. Yeah, they're not that good. And we were 14 points down before we realised that. And again, some teams this year we've pulled that back, but you're not going to pull it away because we're just lacking a little bit. We're back to what happened last week, but in a better way. It's still the same basic fundamental problems. Still lacking a bit of guile, still lacking a bit of self-belief. But I'd rather be going in thinking, well, we, at least we know when we're getting there, we're getting better. We may have hit bottom and we're coming back up, going into Ulster. Two things I didn't want. Didn't want a hammering. Didn't happen. Didn't want injuries. I'll know tomorrow. I was a couple you'd be a little bit nervous about. Um, but, yeah, positive, but don't, doesn't paper over the cracks. But the first 40 minutes were terrible. If you maybe feel that Ulster might be a little bit ring rusty because they've played a game and had a week off because of this insane rush to get these European finals done by the 1st of May which is a farce um, the problem is if, if Ulster need to get back into the game if we play as we did for the first 20 minutes against Gloucester Ulster will be back fully up to speed and they won't make the errors Gloucester made they're, Ulster are a better side than yeah, Gloucester and I put that to Pat Lamb as well and he acknowledged that they're not going to win the game if they start like that but Alan I mean I, I know what your first answer is how do they change the starts get your strongest 15 on the pitch to start with is going to be your first point what's the yeah. second point and, and have them playing in the right positions okay <laughs> <laughs> I thought I covered everything <laughs> well no like, like for me the, our, our best player is, is Robbie Henshaw as you know he's almost voted the best player of the Six Nations I know he was playing 12 for Ireland but we need him at 13 you know Danny Pullman is one of my favourite players I think he gives it everything he can but he's a winger and he's now a winger and he plays like a winger and when he was playing in the centre he played like a winger playing in the centre and the difference that Robbie made in his confidence the difference in confidence he gave to Tiernan and Dara Lee, who had his best game in a long time you know was the fact that they had Robbie there telling them what to do giving them, giving them the, the, you know, the guidance and, and the leadership which is what was really missing earlier on the leadership from the right position in the field 13 is a massively important position both defensively and in attack and he changed everything when he went there he needs to be played there for us we have to have him there the issue is do we have to play him at 12 to suit Ireland interestingly when Sky were doing their warm up for the game uh, Shane Horgan who was the analyst told everybody on Sky that he was playing at 13 so I immediately got the team sheet out and thought oh I better let Rob know because they've moved him obviously they hadn't moved him he either assumed it or he just hadn't done his analysis 
he has to play 13. He has to. But is it a case of, no, he's going to play 12 for Ireland and we have to play him there? Because that's what it looked like to me on Friday. It was the wrong fit on Friday night. Was that? Did Pat Lamb make that call? OK, can I go around the table in one word? Who would you play at 12 next weekend? Fit, Aki, if not Ronaldson. Who'd you play at 10 as a follow-up question? If it's if Aki fit Ronaldson, if Aki not fit, has to be Carty. Alan, same two questions. Same two answers. William? Ditto. Okay, so we're, we're previewing the Ulster match in the context of reviewing the Gloucester match. We're doing the two at once, and why not? It's the best way to do it. So can I ask you, and I know you have something to, to throw that in, but can I ask you, can you continue Alan's backline and what everyone's backline is? Who do you play at nine? John Cooney wasn't uh, eligible to play in Europe because of the loan deal. He's back now. Is Kieran Marmion getting back to a level that you feel is going to be good enough to keep John Cooney, who was showing good form, out of the nine position? That's that's debatable. Um, like I, I'm a huge fan of Kieran. I think he's been he played really well earlier on in the season. His passing was back to something more like his, his itself, but some of the decision making was still not 100 percent at the weekend. But again, partly down to the fact that we <laughs> we were struggling at ten for a while as well. Um, uh, yeah, I, I like I've liked Cooney. I like the way Cooney's quite arrogant and he he believes he can do whatever it is he needs to do to win a game. But I can still see him starting with with um, with Marmion. I think Curran is possibly burnt out. I think it's something to bear in mind. He's only the only games he's even come close to missing. He was in hospital. I think it was it was it back. back he was in Pat Lamb's house at some point. When did that happen? That I just remember he had. I remember that was that was when he was basically they 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 took him out of hospital. They had to monitor him in case he got too dehydrated. He is he's teak tough. He's got a smart brain. But he's got absolutely... It's something I say about a number of players. He's got absolutely no sense of self-preservation. And in, in terms of Kieran, that means he probably has played on played too many games. Cooney has been going great. Cooney has been doing fine. Whether I would still possibly start Kieran, because I think if Kieran is going well, you know you've Cooney to come on and Cooney will let you down. But if Cooney starts and Kieran is not 100%, I think it, it, it's no sense stranger. You're better off with Cooney on the bench in case things are going pear-shaped than with Kieran on the bench. And that's just I don't know why that is. I just don't think Kieran... Kieran's one of the few guys for Connacht who doesn't work well off the bench. Yeah, just 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 another thing that like that's the first time this season we've lost three games in a row. I know. You know, we've been doing really well all season. We've won three games in a row a couple of times, won four games in a row. That's the first time we've lost three games in a row. But that last twenty minutes, last twenty-five minutes, was the first time we've played like we were before Christmas, or since since the Munster game. That was you know it felt as though now that's the kind of team yeah. that's been there. That's the kind of team that's capable of doing stuff. That's the, that's that's what Pat Lamb has brought to this team. That you know we're we're playing. We can play good rugby. We can we can own the ball. We can play without making mistakes, and we can really threaten teams. That's a fantastic point because even the La Rochelle amazing finish was after awful performance and five minutes of fantastic rugby. Really good point. Uh, forwards, George Naupu. You know why does it why does it take being dropped out of the twenty two to get that? He for forty minutes yesterday, lads. I want everyone to bring why chime into this. He was phenomenally good. He was everywhere. Well, he was even phenomenally good when he came on for the blood in, blood song. Yeah, <laughs> Five yeah, minutes yeah. in the yeah. and then he tore on again. I, I I don't understand that. That's uh, that's really something that that's how coaches and assistant coaches. That's how they earn their money. Maybe it was a real shock to him to be dropped. But he and had be a twenty-fourth man then, yeah. Yeah, and be dragged over as the water boy, essentially. Um, but I think he's humble enough to do that. He's been around here long enough to know that there's no prima donnas. But he had a shocking game in Limerick. 
And strangely enough, one of the press, I, know. I, I can't remember who it was, said he was one of the best players on the pitch, which just <laughs> give, makes you wonder how people see games. Maybe we were seeing it wrong on the terrace. But it's frustrating. But look, that happens in all sports. All professional sports, there are times that you, a guy gets dropped and suddenly comes back and play, plays brilliantly. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but he had an epic game. He, he read the game well and he was able to deal. The, the one thing that really stood out to me right through the game and Aviva Premiership side their their line speed was at least 20% faster than what you see in the Pro 12 even the, the top teams in the Pro 12 the game was played at that intensity he was able to deal with that line speed and get himself positioned to take the tackle and offload the ball some of the other players were just being swamped they, they, they were Gloucester were on top of them hitting them down before they even looked as if they knew what was happening uh, you had a quiet game around the pitch and a tremendous game at the scrummaging which I think we'd all take to be honest but there was one moment in the first half where Richard Hibbert chopped him and it just killed his momentum but I thought it was such a statement of why they're on top but he bounced but he bounced. He no, bounced. No, was, yeah. no, he bounced. He bounced, and he got tried to get back to onto his feet. It was a, a brilliant tackle. That's why Hibbert is a is a line, and Rodney is four choice, loose tight head in this country. But I thought Rodney bounced. I think the significant thing is with the pack for next week is that he didn't change any of the front five, which is just unheard of. Eight-day turnaround, but yeah, it's it's unheard of in 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 rugby that you don't change any of your front fives. I think it's, even. To not even have an injury, there's always someone goes down with something because of the intensity. I think the back row set up next week is interesting because I think George has played himself back into the starting team, which means Mull will go to six, which means we're then raised with the interesting issue of seven. Masterson, Masterson I've been so impressed with him. Masterson's, well, we all disagree. You're talking about George being mad. Masterson got rave reviews in some of the papers. thinking, no. You don't think so? I thought he was not oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, no, I'm not so sure about it. I thought he was, I thought he was excellent the last day. I think, he, I think the pack will be the same front five, and it'll be George will come in for Brownie, and Muller will go to six. My final point is, let no one listen to anyone trying to tell you that we've parked this and it's absolutely no effect on this team whatsoever. If I hear those words this week, I'm calling it now before they're said, that is utter bull. I'm not going to go as far as to curse, but I can safely say that if anyone within the Connick branch uh, this week try and say that we're we, that this is a completely separate issue, it hasn't affected us in any way, we've parked it, any of those phrases, don't want to hear it, really don't. And if anything, just don't say anything before you start telling us stuff that we don't want to hear and I'm not just saying that I'm expecting it from Connick could happen from any team but can we just do things differently than other teams would do in this situation if we're going to talk about it, at least just say we're moving past it we're doing our best with it we're, we're, we're all going to channel our energies we understand that this is difficult but we're ready to go that's what I want to hear from you because I know that's what's happening in the background this is not a time for anything other than honesty there's only so much we've discussed already Connick can't say anything else on this topic and that's fine that's not dishonest that's common prudence common sense no problem with that and that's all I want to say on that but if I hear it I am calling it now before it's even said total rubbish but anyways Dave do you have a rant? Uh, Seize mentality I think we should use that we should use everything you just said and just turn it into a seize mentality and go out there focus 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 and just turn it into internal rage and just use it uh, two quick things uh, last week we were in last time we all together we were in Limerick and because of meeting us Monhan went on to beat Kerry and uh, somebody left that room left that room as, as the Limerick Rose Tree so we have influence beyond pure rugby and I wish people on Twitter would stop slagging off individual individual players while the match is still on I think there's something just rotten about that that's not support that's just you being an ass 
nice. Well said. Uh, you've also, for those listeners who are who are really attentive, you'll have also noticed that I call the modern football team the Cavan football team, and I'm I work in GA during the summer. It's all blue cage. Minor. You work in minor GA. <laughs> yeah, well, I tell you, I'm fucking, I tell you some serious questions about my uh, my my knowledge there, but I only took one quick glance. I wasn't sure. Anyways, Alan, rant. Don't really have a rant this week. It's it's oh, um, it's a quiet week You're for mad. me. You're mad. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to the game at the weekend. If we win, it'll be the first time we've ever won three games in, at home against the provinces. Can you, can you use your time then just to, uh, just to just in two sentences, how good are this Ulster team? How, is this our toughest home game of the season? Probably from the point of view that they're going to be more up for it than Leinster and Munster were at their times of the season because it was the start of the season, it was the middle of the season. This is, you know, Ulster looking for a home draw. They've got... You know, they, they want to be in the final. The final has been played in their home ground, and they're desperate for it. Um, they do, you know, they do have Leinster to play as well. Um, although Leinster will have the distraction of a Heineken Cup semi-final or whatever it's called, semi-final. Um, but yeah, I, you know, these guys will be coming down fired up. But we've got an eight-day turnaround. We've got an extra game where we've hopefully learnt a few things about how we need to play and where who we need to play. Um, so it should be one hell of a match. Ooh, one little insert. Edinburgh won against London Irish as we broadcast this today on Sunday. That's really significant. Williams pointed this out already, so you probably have your own rant, so I don't want to take it away from it. But uh, Edinburgh are going to be busy for the next couple of weeks because uh, the week before that game, they're going to be playing Munster next week uh, at home, and they'll be focused on trying to win the Challenge Cup as well. So hopefully that will disrupt them a little bit. Uh, William, rant time. Yeah, Alex White, politician, looking to score cheap points by starting the ball rolling about the Six Nations television coverage before the contract is even up for discussion. Uh, Apparently he's having the IRFU in after Easter for a chat. Um, Bottom line on this is sporting bodies have to get the most money they can for their product. And if the politicians want it sold on the cheap, then they need to be... They need to be prepared to uh, fill in the gaps and be aware that if the IRFU TV deal slides, one of the first items on the agenda for cutting, Connacht. Oh, I can't believe we've made it through 25 podcasts and that's the first time in Craggy Island Rugby that cutting Connacht has come off. <laughs> Fantastic. Let me just check the rules. Someone wants a second rant. Our lawyers have gone home. I'm going to allow it. He didn't it. have a first rant. No, he didn't. He didn't, he didn't have a rant. He didn't have a rant. Yeah, but you passed on your rant. No, he did. He did a rant preview for you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then uh, my rant came up and the rant is, is the, the, you know, the European rugby needs to get one broadcaster because this idea of it going half the games on one station and half the games on the other station... You just I don't know when games are. I miss yeah, Metro versus Saracen. Who's meant to have it? You, you just, you know, it's frustrating. Get one broadcaster and keep it at that, so people know where the games are. Rugby is a tiny, tiny sport. Someone made the point. Uh, Ken Early made the point during the week. There's four million registered rugby players in the world. There's six million soccer players in Germany. We're a tiny, tiny sport, and we can't go around splitting it up the way it's being split. Oh, let's finish on that, lads. Thanks a million. That is it. Hang on, legal team. What do you mean? I'm being sued. <laughs> oh, no. 